0: Thanks for listening to the Gateway Live podcast, a collection of recent sermons, teaching, and inspirational content brought to you by Gateway Church of Upstate New York. Visit our website at gatewaylive.org for more information. Now, here's today's message. I was putting the scripture in the in the computer back there, and I was like, oh man, there's a lot of scripture here. So, just... I'm just praying for God's grace just to help me deliver it. I'm not, I'm not going to keep you long, but just to deliver it the way that he would want to say this today because this, the song we just sang, No Longer a Slave to Fear, it's kind of, that was put in two weeks ago. Once again, God just lines these services up. And even what Moises and, and was just saying about what was spoken about, why do we have to, you know, it seems like sometimes we just have to beg God for answers to prayer. Um, I I think I think I've got something here, but Um, so we were born. The Bible says we were born into sin. We were shaped in in iniquity. We're a slave to sin. I don't think you know. It's it's common that you know you have a kid. You don't have to you don't have to train them to be bad. You don't have to train them to sin. It comes naturally in our nature. Um, John eight. 31 begins with, so Jesus said unto the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. And so the truth here that he's talking about is reality. There is a reality that if we get a hold of, has the power to change your day-to-day life just in how you view yourself and who we are in him. The reality is that we have been set free. We are no longer slaves to sin. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. So new here in this context means a prototype. I was not aware of that until this week. It means something that is brand new. It doesn't mean that we're all just stamped, you know, you're saved, and then this is who you are. You mean it you are a prototype. You are something that God is working on, fresh and new. You don't have to live up to the measure of the person standing next to you. You are a new creation in Him. John, 1 John 3 says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his his seed, that's a capital H there, right? His seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. So I know there's been times in my life where I've felt stuck in sin. Has anyone felt addicted to something or just stuck? But... When we are saved, we cannot be stuck in sin. You may feel it, but it's not the truth. And I think this is where this is where I was stuck for years. I felt because I didn't measure up to something that I wasn't worthy. But we are not stuck in sin. It's not. It's not God's truth, and that truth that sets us free. The truth is that we're no longer a slave to sin. Virtual reality says, "I'm stuck." I'm a slave to sin, but God's reality says I'm born of God and I'm no longer a slave. Amen? Romans 6 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred or entrusted to. And having been liberated from sin, you become enslaved to righteousness. So we were slaves to sin and now we are slaves to righteousness. Being a slave to righteousness, while better than being a slave to sin, is the entry level for what God wants us to do. We were not meant to be a slave to just obedience indefinitely, just to come to church, just to do those, that checklist of Christianity that he wants us to do. There's, there's more, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Being led by the Spirit, even that isn't the highest level of life. I'd propose that it's the beginning. When the Spirit has to tell us everything to do, that's the beginning. And it's exciting, and we need more of that. Go here, talk to that person. But what I'm going to talk about this morning is aspiring to friendship with God. John 15, 13. No no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore, because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed that you should go out and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that, every, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. So there in verse 15, it says, I do not call you slaves anymore. Well, that implies that he did at one time. But the disciples matured beyond the role of a slave to a place of true friendship with him. It's exciting. How do you know you're a slave? You only do what you're told to do. A slave knows what to do, what they've been told to do, but they don't know exactly why they're doing it. They may be given a task. They're not not sure why why they're doing it. They just do what they're told. So as believers, we can remain at that point of just doing what God would have us to do, just like I said, that checklist, simply obeying what he tells us, or we we can move to a place of mutual friendship. So one of the marks of a friend is that Friends influence friends. How can you tell when you become friends with somebody? You may wonder, well, I am my friends with am I actually friends with this person? When you choose to be together. We know he chose us because he paid the ultimate price for us on the cross. But he gave us a will and a choice. From the garden, there was two trees. He gave us the choice to partake of those trees. He gave us a will, but he also gave us a choice. And he wants us to be in friendship, but he doesn't want somebody who's just going to blindly. He does, if he wanted that, he, he had the angels. But we are his creation, and we, making that choice to, be, to serve him, we can choose to enter into that friendship with him. Friendship requires that we think, and thinking requires a brain. <laughs> Another sign of friendship is, here, here it is, the, it's mutual influence. God just, God just doesn't want us to do his stuff. He wants to do the things we ask when our thoughts and requests line up with his motive and nature. Hearing God's voice is great, like I said, and we want more of that. We need more of that. We need more of that in, in this church, the church at large. We need more of that in our nation. But what about doing something without being told? I know if anyone has a parent here. I think you might know where I'm going with this one. When you've got a chore list and, you know, you have to tell them to do something, you know, you're grateful that they do it. But what if, what if that child were to actually do something without being prompted? <laughs> when we act on our own intuition because we know the nature of our friend, God is like, yes, of course, I'll answer. God is excited just like that parent, that parent who is excited because their kid is learning and they're doing things on their own. So, there were three people in the Old Testament that God called friend. This was before the New Testament, the, the new dispensation. This was before grace, or at least grace as we know it now. And the first one was Abraham. i try to summarize. I don't, I don't want to read too much here, but I know a lot of you uh, probably know the story of Abraham. Um, I'm not, I, I, shy, I shy away from a familiar portion of scripture, as, as was said in days gone by, because as time goes on, scripture is becoming less and less familiar. So I never want to assume that something's familiar. But Abraham, he—if you know the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how he destroyed that city because of wickedness—they were. He was. He was walking with the Lord. If you notice that scripture, he was walking with the Lord or manifestation of the Lord to that city to find out if if the city was really worth destroying. And Abraham begins to, <laughs> he begins to reason with the Almighty saying, if there is 50, Lord, wouldn't you spare the city? And then he goes all the way down to 10 and he still can't find 10. But in Genesis eighteen twenty five, look at this after he says 50, and God is kind of going back and forth here, he said, you could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? So God had made up his mind, but yet he was willing to reason with his friend. He basically said, I don't it doesn't seem like the God I know that would just come down and destroy the city. And so he wanted to intercede on behalf of, of his family that he knew was there to try and spare the city. The fruit of that friendship is that God reveals what he's planning on doing. God revealed to him before it happened what he was planning on doing. And he invited Abraham to come and influence his decision. That is, that's just amazing the other, the second of the friends of god was moses so moses i don't think there's probably a human on the planet doesn't know about the 10 commandments he was he was the he was the one who went to the mountaintop where god literally etched out these commandments on top of mount sinai he was up there for 40 days and the people grew weary they said we we can't we can't wait any longer that impatience, and as Israel had, had be, well, they were just beginning to do this at the time, but they set up a golden calf to worship this calf instead of the God who had literally delivered them from Egyptian, 400 years of Egyptian slavery and bondage, led them through a sea by parting waters, provided so many instances, and they couldn't wait a few more days, and so they set up a calf. So he's coming down after these 40 days from the mountain. And he hears this sound of war, I think it says. And uh, Exodus 32, 7 says, The Lord spoke to Moses. He says, Go down at once, for the people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. (laughs) God is blaming this on Moses. They have quickly turned away from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an an image of a calf and they've bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. (laughs) Oh, wow. This is your God. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and yes, they're indeed a stiff-necked, they're an obstinate people. And God says, leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses interceded with the Lord. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? Now he turns it back to God. Your people, who you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand. (laughs) Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your great anger and relent concerning this disaster plan for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by your very self and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and I will give your offspring all this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. God says, your people, you brought out of Egypt. Moses says, wait a minute. These are your people. (laughs) Whoa, 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 record scratch. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, that doesn't sound like the God I know. That sounds like a bad idea. And then God says, you know what? I've got a friend here. I've got a leader here. If Moses acted from the slave mentality that he knew, he knew firsthand growing up in Egypt, watching the slavery that they were in. If he had acted from that mentality, he would have stepped back and when God says, I'm going to kill him, and he would have grabbed his popcorn. But, but Moses, the friend, said, wait a minute, God. The slave has one-way obedience with God, but the friend has two-way influence. So, moving into a little different vein here, John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be or and become my disciples. The purpose of growing a vine is to produce fruit. But do you I'm sure you realize this. If you just let that vine grow, we, we had an experience with this and Ned came over yesterday, right? Our garden had a few too many plants in there. And the thing is, is they, they'll fight for nutrients. Plants will fight for nutrients, just like the vine that, that is spoken here will fight for nutrients when you've got that fruit which comes off, which grows relatively close To that vine, when that is left to go on its own, that vine will grow and grow and and create branches that they're not fruitful, but they will sap the energy from that vine so that it cannot produce fruit. So the process of pruning is cutting that vine back to the point where the fruit stops. So the vine can invest its energy not to produce sticks and leaves, but to produce fruit. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He gives us two choices there, neither of which are overly exciting, prune, get pruned, or be removed. (laughs) Two choices. Verse 7 and 8 says, if we remain in him and his words in us, ask anything and it will be done we glorify him when we produce fruit, proving that we're his disciples. And this, this is a huge promise. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, or maybe you've never even seen this, this particular scripture, but ask anything of him. I know our carnal minds go immediately towards Lambo. <laughs> Big house, you know, that, but that's not what he's talking about here. It begins with abiding in him and his word in us. What words? What's the context of what he's saying there? There He's talking about words that prune. And the prune and clean are interchangeable from what I understand. So if we allow his word to clean and prune, disciple us to the point where we are bearing fruit that is giving him glory then he will allow us to influence him. That's worth reflecting on. Maybe I'll say it again. If we allow his word to clean and prune us to the point where we are bearing fruit that is giving him glory, then he will allow us to influence him. The way that friends speak to each other and influence each other. How many like to be disciplined or corrected? <laughs> no. Hebrews 12:11 says no discipline or pruning seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Lord, train us today. Everyone wants the promises but nobody wants the pruning. What if we recognize that the pruning was a part of the promise? And this is something that I can relate to. The pruning is a part of the promise. The promise is on the other side of learning, of being disciplined, of being pruned. Because that's the thing, it's if we're just left to our own devices, we don't grow. We can just stay stagnant in our comfortable lives, especially here in the States. There's not much, we don't have much need of anything. And I just pray as time goes on, as I get a little older, a little older, that God would continue to prune me. When we don't understand or make the association between pain and purpose, it can make us feel like these struggles are abstract. I'm sure everyone has has felt that at one time, you know, why am I I going through this? Why am I struggling here? Not realizing that at the end of this, God could be bringing something wonderful from it all. He said, if you abide in me and my word in you, that's the word that cleans and prunes, then you can be trusted with anything that you ask. Um, The third Old Testament friend was David. And so, um Moses as we just spoke about a minute ago he after he came down with the, the 10 commandments god instructed him of the tabernacle that he was to build and this tabernacle if you haven't <laughs> if you haven't read these chapters it is amazing the detail that god directly gave to Moses on the color thread that you're going to do this with every dimension every, every aspect of this thing was down to the t. Moses's tabernacle was God's idea. But this is something I I was not aware of that during the transition but there was a time between the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon there was a short period of time where David took it upon himself to put the ark in a tent. A one-room tent. And if you're familiar with the tabernacle, it had multiple areas, one of which was the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go in there where the ark of the, like Bryn said earlier, that ark of the covenant where God dwelt. Only once a year could the single high priest go in there and minister to God, or else he would be struck down. And it must have happened before, because they would tie a rope around this high priest with bells on his robe. And if they stopped hearing the bells, they dragged him out of there because they couldn't go in either. So this one room where God's ark dwelt was that, it was that set apart and that holy where God's presence dwelt in that one room. And David brought the ark into a single room tent where he invited the priests to minister there. And Aside from the one instance where where they were bringing the tent and uh was it Uzziah he held out his hand to steady because he thought the ark was going to fall off and he was struck struck dead um, aside from that, God was okay seemingly with this because I, I I still don't it's it's crazy that he he provided that much that much insight into how the tabernacle was to build. And David said, I'm looking ahead into, I know your nature. I know the nature of God that he wants to be with us. And so I'm going to do this. And God was okay with it. And even if you look at the temple of Solomon, that wasn't God's idea either. God did not want this ornate uh, structure that kings, neighboring kings would look at and just be in awe of. He wanted the tabernacle, which was made of goatskins and and just so, God ultimately He was still okay with David's idea for the for the temple that Solomon ended up building. And when that temple was was dedicated, God's Spirit filled that temple in such a way that they couldn't even see there was so much smoke, or the glory of God appeared as smoke they couldn't see. So God was okay with that. Which is just hundreds of years before the New Testament, God listened to and and David was okay because David knew the heart of God. So why don't you guys just stand with me? We've been those of you who have been around Gateway for a while, um, you know, we've, we prayed for years. And then a couple of decades ago, we had this, this thing go through the church where we kind of called it listening prayer, but it was nothing more than, you know, in back in the day, it was, you know, we would just talk and talk and talk and talk. That's how you just, that's how you prayed. You just give God your petition, your requests. And then we had a bright idea about listening to God, stepping back and, and being quiet and it was, it was an amazing time in this, in this church because God not only spoke, but he delivered people through the words that he spoke. But could it be that maybe a third, maybe the, the, the Gateway 3.0 is conversing with God and becoming, stepping into that friendship with God in a two-way relationship where we as friends can influence our Heavenly Father. Not just hearing and following Him, but that we, knowing His nature, can ask Him anything and that He's, it's His good desire to give it to us. I, I thought of this before, before church this morning. I'm probably not going to ask Pastor to help optimize a database of mine. <laughs> I probably won't ask Ned tips on resisting a half gallon of ice cream (laughs) or or maybe Moises to proofread my college English paper (laughs) but you know what I will ask pastor maybe the best place to hunt or to give me some wise counsel I will ask Ned if our garden is doing okay and his wisdom there or or to help teach me something in the Bible that I haven't seen as he does a group so many times I will ask Moises the best tips and tricks on how to grill that steak, which I did, I did last weekend and it was amazing. Or to get me excited about the, the evangelism that he has. But that's because I know the nature of these men. So I'm not gonna ask them something that's not in their nature. And that when I know that I've learned the nature of God through reading. Through learning, through pruning, through fellowship here. I know his nature, it's not it's not something selfish. I know that he loves his children, that he wants he wants that healing. And I can intercede on behalf of my friend to heal. That's just what struck me this morning. He wants the best for us. So this is not this is not like a lifetime thing you know when we talk about being a friend of god yes i mentioned moses david abraham we don't have to spend a lifetime attempting to aspire to something so great other, other, otherwise what would be the what would be the, the purpose we'd be here forever god just wants us to allow ourselves to be pruned and to do what we can to learn do what we can to stay in fellowship and to seek after that friendship He gives us that same choice that I spoke of today. If you've never made a step, you know, to, to serve him, that's, that's where we start. Yeah. Step towards him. And while you will enter into that, I no longer call you slaves period, where you just, you know, just learn from people and do, do, what you're, do what you know to do, do what you're told, do what the Bible says. There is a next level for those who've been here a while where God wants to enter into a friendship with him. So let's just pray today. Lord God, we recognize there's more to you to be known, whether that's a first step or that's moving from slavery into friendship, a friendship where we can ask anything of you. Lord, and I want to be your friend. Lord, teach me to abide in you. Lord, teach your word. I want your word to abide in me, Lord God, so that I can know your nature, that I can see instances where your nature would say, this person needs a healing, this person needs deliverance, and I would be able to act upon it knowing that my friend is going to back me up, is right there behind me, wanting the same thing for that person next to me, that person that I come across. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would grow this morning. So if you want to just, let's come up here and let's pray, Lord, to know more of you, more. You've got so much more for us, and I'm excited to, to see where this could take me, where this could take you, where this could take the church, where this could take the church that we experienced last night in Albany, in this state. What is God going to do through the church? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new messages are released. And remember to visit gatewaylive.org for more information.